probably these sites were used for very colourful ceremonies, for music, for dance, for fires being set, for maybe even kind of slightly chaotic, anarchic behaviour that maybe wouldn't happen at other places in society. Hi, welcome to Adventures in Dowsing, podcast number 48, with me, Graham Gardner. Now, we're a little bit late in getting this one posted, uh, as it was mostly recorded during the Spring Equinox 2016. Uh, However, I just have some uh, archive recordings that I wanted to cut into this, uh, as it does uh, help explain what's going on a bit better. This is the story of the Sight Hill Stone Circle in Glasgow, which is sometimes affectionately called Glasgow Stonehenge, and its claim to fame is that it was the first astronomically aligned stone circle to be constructed in Britain for 3,000 years. It was built during uh, the years 1978 and 1979, so it's certainly one of the earliest stone circles of the modern stone circle revival period, which has subsequently been championed largely by people like Ivan Macbeth and uh, Rob Roy. The Sight Hill Circle was designed and constructed by local astronomer and science fiction writer Duncan Lunan, who was commissioned to build the circle as part of a greater series of installations known as the Glasgow Parks Astronomy Project, uh, which planned to do a whole series of uh, astronomy-related installations across all the Glasgow parks. Uh, Here's Duncan from an earlier lecture uh, explaining the idea behind the project and how he saw things developing in the future. If you take the circle 40 feet across to represent the sun, then you can fit the solar system into the city of Glasgow. Mercury, Venus, Earth and Mars and Ceres, largest of asteroids, would be within St. Hill Park. Jupiter would be on the campus of Circlite University, and we had at the time got permission to put Jupiter next to the Steelhenge structure to make our link between the two. Saturn would, would now would have been on Queen's Dock. We now obviously want to put it at the Science Centre across the river. Uh, Uranus and Neptune were going to be on Mary Hill Road with a movable marker for Voyager 2. Going along a few, a few blocks every so often. Um, they could now possibly be on the site of the Commonwealth Games. And Pluto would be out on Gaskin Bays. And ultimately this could go on to take in the public observatories in Airdrie and Dundee and Paisley and Edinburgh and the former one in Dumfries and the, the current one in Stirling, the new one, relatively new one, and then extend it into the network of ancient sites up in the islands and islands. We could end up with a national heritage trail. So I don't if we do get the if we do get the circle renovated, it's not a be all and end all. I actually see this as a, a standard for ten something that could eventually take in the whole, the whole nation. Now, at the time, there was some money available in the public purse to fund projects like this, and so the scheme was initiated with the help of the Manpower Services Commission, and the intention was to uh, also provide opportunities for the young people of the area who were drafted in to help build the circle. But the uh, late 70s saw a dramatic change in the political landscape of Britain, uh, as uh, Duncan went on to relate in his earlier lecture. However, the next phase was that the Tory government took office, and six days later, the same same chap from Nalgo uh, came into the office. He said, do you know you have just been denounced in the House of Commons? Oh, really? And he told me, 
that Mrs. Sanchon had declared that she would be restoring full employment by the end of 1980, so the jobs creation scheme would be wound up at the end of 1979, and there will be no more nonsense like the Glasgow Parks Astronomy Project. Uh, the following morning, the Manpower Services Liaison Officer came into the office and told us there would be no more construction. We were going to build other things. We were going to do a big sundial down by the Museum of Transport. And in fact, to this day, four stones never used are lying under a tree up there on the side. So that's a bit of background about the circle for you. And the fact that it has stood for 37 years is a testament to how much it is valued by the local community, uh, especially the local pagan groups who uh, use it frequently for uh, many of their ceremonies and rituals. So uh, it's no surprise that there was a large outcry when Glasgow District Council announced that they were going to remove the circle as part of a redevelopment of um, Sight Hill Park, uh, which is going to be rezoned for housing. So uh, large public outcries uh, were made, petitions were signed, uh, discussions were had between Duncan and the council, the end result of which uh, was that they agreed to remove the stones and relocate them to another area in the park once the uh, housing scheme had been constructed. So now let's uh, fast forward 37 years to 2016 and we are at the circle for the spring equinox and what was the last public uh, ceremony, ritual, event to happen before the stones were removed. One of the people I ran into was uh, Kenny Brophy, the archaeologist from Glasgow University, who you may recall from the last episode where he was in charge of uh, excavating a test trench at the Cockno Stone. Kenny is known online as the Urban Prehistorian, and he regularly writes blog articles about sites such as this. Uh, you know, Anything megalithic or ancient within a, a, an urban context is right up his street. So I managed to corner him at the circle, and I asked him what significance this particular site held for him. For me, it's an example of the, the potential benefit of us building stone circles today. Because I think actually... It's great that we've got lots of stone circles that are old and we can do things with them, but actually there's still a lot to be said for building monuments now and creating new places that can be a social and community focus and uh, can take on a whole load of meanings as this site has. So it's actually a kind of a it's a perfect example of why we should still be building stone circles. So what do you think of the uh, the future of this circle then, since the, the council are going to move it to another site? Is it going to be the same, do you think? It won't be the same, but it will um, it'll have the same ethos because I think Duncan's Lunin's quite involved in planning the, the new variation of the site, the, the, the stone circle. If it's going to be a circle, I don't know if it's going to be a circle or a spiral or a labyrinth or something, and it's going to be built near here. Uh, and presumably because it's now going to be fully funded all the way through, there'll be potential for maybe information boards or a bit more publicity that actually means that people really take it to the heart straight away rather than it becoming a bit of a a forgotten site which is what it really is just now so I think actually the future looks fairly bright for the stones but just in a different a different place and a different incarnation and from an archaeological viewpoint uh, I mean are you going to record this site before it gets moved or after it gets moved as, as far as I'm aware it's going to be recorded by AOC archaeology who are going to do a, um, a laser scan of the site uh, some point before it's removed so there is going to be a bit of archaeological work done here I'm not sure if they're doing anything else or not um, but the site will be so that will be recording everything as it is just now uh, and I think that for me my main um, recording method is just visiting the site taking lots of photographs and just documenting 
evidence material culture for what it's been used for over the years so the fact that it's been used here today for a kind of a community event is really brilliant because it's actually me seeing people here as opposed to me just seeing the evidence of people being here so it's quite unusual to actually be here in this hive of activity so you're getting the whole sociological aspect of yeah, the site yeah exactly yeah. you're seeing people enjoying the stones enjoying the monument you actually realise that if this was embedded within a community actually it could become a real focal point and something that the community could become proud of so there's definitely a huge amount of potential for doing a lot more with the next version of this Do you think this is something that uh, we tend to forget about with these ancient sites uh, You know, the mm-hmm. fact that they probably had a much more of a social aspect than we give them credit for? I think we do because we always view them as being places of ritual, of ceremony and we imagine there's been a shamanic figure and it's already, you know, it's already austere and there's rituals going on and everyone's being quiet and respectful. And actually, probably these sites were used for very colourful ceremonies, for music, for dance, for fires being set, for maybe even kind of slightly chaotic, anarchic behaviour that maybe wouldn't happen at another places in society. So actually, I think that we should see these places in prehistory as being real kind of party locations, real central places where people gather together for a whole range of stuff, both good and bad, and had a lot of fun and maybe also some serious times as well. I mean, just the same as ceremonial sites are used for today as well. There are positive and negative aspects to how they're used. Well, Kenny's comments about the various uses of these sites is certainly very pertinent to uh, the Spring Equinox uh, event, where the interior of the circle is full of rather interesting structures, looking like small teepees constructed from uh, wood, paper and covered in clay. And these are what you call paper kilns, which is a very ancient technique of firing clay. And this is part of an art project involving some uh, ceramic pieces that have been made by local school community groups. And uh, this has been run by artist Kevin Andrew Morris. Uh, my degree is in ceramics, so I studied at the art school, um, finishing in 2010. And since then, yeah, I guess my practice has gone different avenues, kind of leading a lot of community-based workshops, doing fabrication for other artists, and obviously making my own work. So the paper kilns, um, I originally did them at the Scottish Sculpture Workshop in Aberdeenshire I was a technician and we were doing them as part of a coastal coastal festival so um oh okay yeah so is this a really ancient technique this- yeah it's a Japanese technique um as most of these ancient ceramic ones are and um yeah it's uh sort of similar akin to like a raku firing which is you know um, using kind of sawdust and combustible materials to give different effects on the work so kind of petrol stains or um or like smoke effects or you know um so what we're actually making today um well the whole process like i guess um you're making the kiln and firing the work at the same time so the, the kilns are loaded with combustible material and ceramic pieces so um, these are pieces that were made at a local school um, it's like Hill Primary um, they were making pieces kind of based on the stone circles and thinking about the, the park as a whole and the kind of wildlife and nature that's here um, as well as that, there's kind of a range of things that I've made or different classes I've worked with so anything from a sculpture ahead of Ryan Gosling to an anchor is in one of them and a range of stuff. <laughs> right. I think it's interesting, the, the um, association of ceramic with stone circles. Yeah. It does seem to happen a lot, especially in the ancient world. Aha. Uh-huh. Initially, I guess, when I proposed the workshop as part of the North Glasgow Arch Trail, um, yeah, I was kind of thinking about archaeology and, like, ceramics as a kind of Neolithic material, and a very ancient material. And, yeah, these stones are kind of representing that kind of ancient 
connection to landscape and environment so it seems to tie quite well and, and perfect that it's on the spring equinox today and we've got nice weather <laughs> absolutely so well, last year i was over in japan and i visited some of the ancient jomon sites ah wow okay with you know this like thirteen thousand bc pottery mm. and they had decorated pottery it was fascinating well stuff. it's yeah that seems to have worked out quite well then there's a lot of yeah. uh, fortuitous <laughs> things coming into play but, uh, so, and what drew you to this stone circle? How did you find out about that? So, um, yeah, the original event was part of the North Glasgow Arts Trail. So, kind of trying to promote arts in the north of Glasgow. And um, my own practice is sort of interested in, you know, object, material, environment, how we engage with our surroundings. So, it seemed like a really interesting site, you know, for some of the reasons I've already outlined. Mm-hmm. And so, a site that I didn't really have much knowledge about. So, um, it's been a really interesting process to kind of learn the history of the park and meet people like Duncan and yourself and, mm-hmm. and as well get new people to learn you know like there's students and people there who've never been to the Stone Circle and unfortunately might not get another opportunity so um, well at least until it's rebuilt somewhere else but, yeah well yeah, it's exactly yeah. right so yeah, um, yeah. so no it's all worked out pretty well and right. it seems to be a well attended so how long do the, the pieces take to fire? I mean, are we going to see them by the end of the day? That's the plan. Uh, That's the plan. Ideally, they would be left in the kilns overnight or a bit longer, but we're going to unveil them about five. So I'm really pushing for people to kind of get them going, get the fires blazing and um, right. kind of get a good turnout. So yeah, um, about five o'clock and hopefully, well, in time for the sunset as well. Yeah, oh, well, um, fingers crossed that they're ready by then. Yeah, we'll see. <laughs> Great, thanks for talking to okay. us. Hello. I'm Robin Heath and I'm at the BSD Annual Conference where I've given a lecture and this is a podcast, Adventures in Dowsing, from the British Society of of Dowsers, says my prompter. (laughs) Well, before we actually get to uh, the main event with Duncan, I wanted to include one last excerpt from the earlier lecture of his where he is discussing the uh, calculation methods he used to actually work out what the alignments were. And I know this is one of the questions that I'm always most interested in, especially when you don't have access to uh, a computer and astronomy software, which just wasn't available in those days. So you had to work from you know paper and pencil and uh, looking up astronomical tables. So here Duncan explains how he worked from large-scale photographs that were taken at the site before the stones were put in. And uh, he discusses some of the particular problems Problems that that brought. Working, going with what we call the working photographs, these large tabletop sized prints that Gavin had done, centered on each alignment, with the bearings that the survey team had taken. I was drawing on each of them a grid, a degree on a side, uh, centered on the calculated theoretical alignment, where the event would be if the Earth was a perfect sphere and had no, no atmosphere. Uh, and then calculating how much atmospheric refraction would make its path appear above that. And I was working with tables out of Professor Tom's books, which gave average values for midday refraction, summer and winter. But as it turns out, our horizon was too good. Um, It's too near to a true horizon that most of the megalithic sites they're either looking down slightly onto a sea horizon or else they've deliberately placed their viewpoint so that it's a couple of degrees above the true horizon that the event occurs in order to eliminate refraction. Because it does, over particularly uh, between zero degrees and plus one, 
and particularly over a city with all the variations in atmospheric density that you get, it makes a big difference. <coughs> I've seen midwinter sunrise several diameters to left and right of the theoretical position where Gavin happened to see it the first time. And it's simply due to variations in temperature, changing the density of the atmosphere. Now, the importance of this is, we know that at the ancient sites, because you can see the markings, these guys took a century to get, make sure they had the alignment perfect before they put the stone in. I had no opportunity to do that. My initial brief was to do this in nine months. In the end, it was the traditional fairy tale year and a day from inception to, to, to the helicopter operation. And the weather, as I said, that, uh, that year was terrible. Um, and uh, I, I did it all by calculation with no observations to draw. So what this demonstrates is that using naked eye observation alone, especially a century of it, we could have got this far more accurate. <laughs> Alexander Tom maintains that the ancient sites are astronomically accurate within a minute or two of arc. The archaeological position for the most part is that this must be wrong because society did not have that level of sophistication then. And anyway, they couldn't have done that by naked eye observation alone. Yes, they could. I proved it. Um, this has made no impression on the debate, whatever, but I, I feel that I had in fact proved the point. Um, the, it could have been done. You can't say with absolute certainty that this was the case because things have changed. As I said, the tilt of the Earth's axis has altered since Neolithic times. Uh, it's still possible to argue that all of the calculated alignments are spurious, but I don't buy it. I, I think that this demonstrates that Tom and the rest had it right. So, Duncan, great day for a, an equinox at the Stone Circle. Yes, it's the 37th anniversary of the building of the Circle. The helicopter operation was on March the 20th of 1979. Yeah, it was doubly poignant for you, though. Oh, yes, yes. Um, I find myself thinking, obviously, of for instance, the late John Braithwaite, who was second in command on the project and was a great friend of mine. He's been, been gone four years now and he's, he's missed all the excitement. <laughs> well, if, if he is still around anywhere, it will be greatly annoying, I'm not sure. <laughs> but yes, of the four people to whom the circle is dedicated, the only one left now is Dr. Ewan Mackay. And, um, and the other three is uh, Alexander, Alexander. Archie, Alexander Tom, Archie, Archie Tom and Archie Boy, all, all now gone sadly yeah. enough, and Jean Coles who was the project secretary, she's no longer with us either, so yeah, it's, we're, we're getting thinned out, it's like astronauts there aren't so many guys left who walked on the moon or built a circle. circuit well it's just as well that you're still here because you have the chance to do it all again yes, when uh, they move it, right? yes, this is the plan yeah. um, council representatives have been saying that since more or less since the public protest started and um, they have now put it into writing in the development plan for the area not only that the circle will be recreated but that I will be commissioned to do it so um, well, I'm looking forward to the next developments So I presume it will be a little bit easier the next time since you've got the advantage of the, the computer you not rely on your slide rule and pen and paper Well I'll uh, probably be using many of it many of the same methods. The <laughs> computer won't make that big a difference as far as that's concerned. What, uh, but we will be, of course, be starting from a much further along the road. The, the, the site has been picked. The stones are already here. 
the basic plan is still going to be the same. Um, I don't have to, so I don't have to get approval for it. Um, and uh, yeah, it will be it will be a lot less demanding. But on the other hand, I intend to to make much more thorough calculations this time and uh, try and make sure that I get the the tracks exactly right because most of them are close enough, but. Uh, they could, some of them could be improved. <laughs> it is not the case, as a couple of the papers were saying a couple of months ago, that none of them line up with the sun and the moon and nobody's noticed all these. That's, that's nonsense. The events are still within the breadth of the stones, but some of them are on the edge of the stones rather than the centre. Mm. And I, I just like to true it up a bit. Mm. Do you think you'll be able to uh, uh, get as many of the alignments as, as you have with this site? The um, When we built it, the... the Northeast quadrant was largely obscured by by the high flats. Now the the new build over here will will blot out the northwest quadrant, but uh, the rest of it will be clear. And uh, in five thousand years, things will come and go. Uh, most of the most of this stuff is uh, it's only here for the blink of an eye. The only if you go back at even a thousand years, the only thing that was already there was the cathedral. Uh, yeah, yeah. So and, and and this hill was a completely different shape. <laughs> well, that's the, true. The railways and the canals have cut off this big yeah. uh, sheer face that almost that we're standing by. It will be. Um, I hope this time they'll just leave it in place and let the city ebb and flow around it. So do you think, uh, going back to Neolithic times, there was a similar site in, in the Glasgow area? Oh, I'm quite, I'm quite certain of it. It is known that the cathedral was built on a Neolithic site, because that's what they did, uh, taking over. But over there on the Summer Hill, they held solstice fairs until the 17th century when the church stopped them. There used to be a distillery over there. Distillery. It's gone now. Yeah. Uh, it's quite, quite harsh. Um, in fact, according to my calculations, the midsummer sun would have set on the roof of the White Horse building, but it, it didn't. It turned out to set on the natural skyline just to the right. However, if you look at the old plans, the uh, go back to the 18th century and look at the map of Glasgow as it then was, from the cathedral, the former line of Dobie's Lone initially went due west, and then it ran northeast. Northwest, I beg your pardon, to the base of the summer hill, and that line is bang on midsummer sunset. Mm-hmm. They were having solstice fairs on the summer hill. From the summer hill, the midsummer sun rises over the site hill. The names alone are yeah. giving it away. But Dobie's Lawn, long long before it was a drover's road, extending west from there, and if you project that line to where it meets the Clyde you come to a huge Neolithic site that was excavated in the 30s by Ludovic Mann called Nappers mm-hmm. and very probably from these hills you, at the solstice if you, with a big enough bonfire you could have seen the one from the other I'm sure, I'm sure it's all significant and linked so it is in the right place and it's, uh, the historical links are being preserved yeah. and one thing I've, I've just learned today which as means a lot to some of the people here is that the council are going to remove and store the topsoil because quite a lot of people's ashes are scattered here Ooh. and they're going to relay it at the new site I thought they were removing the topsoil because it's supposed to be contaminated from the chemical factory that used to be here well the chemical factory it turns out was never here at all yeah it was more it was over, over there yeah, yeah. over there there was 
there were certainly big mounds of chemical waste, but even in the 70s, they had not all now been removed. But the, the argument was, um, behind us, where we're standing now, was the air shaft for the now disused railway tunnel running under the hill. And if you go back to photographs in the 60s, that was the highest point. This is now the highest point. And the reason for that is that when they buried the air shaft, they brought in the topsoil and they created this, this high spot, possibly seeing it as a viewpoint, even intending it as a viewpoint even then. The difficulty was that nobody knew what was underneath that soil that had been brought in because it was known there was a layer of rubble down there the, before we built the circle the planning department required the, uh, the parks architects to, to sink test shafts but they only went down two metres right. and the, there's three metres of topsoil was brought in so in the rubble below that yeah, there could be contamination and with the whole area having been surrounding it chemical wells they, they felt it was for the Commonwealth Games it was a risk they couldn't take so yeah that's primarily why they're going to cut the top off uh, but also they're going to flatten this whole area all the way over to Pinkston Road over there um, and build on it oh. so uh, are they going to build up the new site any higher do you think? yes they are, not, not much over there Over there, there's a, a quite a steep-sided dip in the ground just exactly where I would want to recreate the circle and they've agreed to fill it in hmm. but um, the shaft over there was, was was a lot of concern at the time as to whether we were going to build over it and that would be a hazard so we had to establish that we weren't yeah. and in the, the plans that were drawn up in the special projects office at the time the position of the air shaft is clearly marked but you, you couldn't see it then yeah, yeah, I'm looking at the. Um, uh, I've done an overlay with the old maps, and the tunnel is clear of the circle. Yeah, it's just off to the side of it. Yes, yeah, as, as was intended. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's great to see so many people here enjoying themselves. Yes, that is uh, such a lovely day as well. Major things, yeah. It's a change. This is one of the best days I've actually had up here. I think. Yeah. <laughs> yes, and we're, it's supposed to stay clear till sunset, so yeah. we'll get that too. Well, since I recorded this podcast, the removal of the circle is uh, completed. The stones have been put into storage until time and funding permits the reconstruction of the circle uh, nearby, uh, as you've just heard from Duncan there. A time capsule was unearthed underneath the first circle, and this is going to be reburied without being opened underneath the new site. And there will be an additional time capsule that documents the the move uh, that will be buried at the new site. And the site that's actually earmarked for the for the circle is the place originally chosen by Duncan, as as you heard there, and it's only a couple of hundred yards to the east of the present site. But at the time the circle was originally built, the proximity of high flats meant that too many of the sight lines would be obscured. And it's rather ironic that over the years, many of these high flats have been demolished, uh, which has left the circle with almost perfect sight lines in all quadrants now. So it remains to be seen how the new housing development that's going to be constructed in the park here will impact on the sight lines from the new position. Uh, But of course, it's going to be a few years before we are able to assess that. And at least this time, Duncan has the aid of computer technology to uh, help him calculate the required astronomical alignments. But he has, of course, said that he he wants to spend at least a year 
making uh, direct observations from the site before any construction is started. And that, of course, is uh, the best way to get the alignments correct and is most likely the way that uh, our ancient uh, ancestors would have done it uh, by, you know, marking the alignments with wooden posts before they actually put uh, any stones in. So it's something rather satisfying that uh, Duncan is going to be using a combination of uh, both the most modern and the most ancient techniques in uh, getting the alignments of the new site correct. Well, that's it for this show. Uh, if you have any comments about the show that you would like to share with us, uh, do send an email to podcast at adventuresanddowsing.com or you can join the discussion and leave a comment on particular episodes on the main website at adventuresanddowsing.com. If you enjoyed the podcast, please do take a moment to write us a good review on iTunes and many thanks to those of you who have recently done that. I should also mention that we are now also available on Stitcher, so uh, if you have an Android phone or a tablet or other Android device, you can download the podcast directly from Stitcher. So thanks to uh, Duncan, Kenny and Kevin for talking to us at The Circle, and uh, thanks to Hilary Brooks, of course, for the music, and I hope you can join me next time for more Adventures in Dowsing.